Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. All right. Stand with me, if you would, please. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. Cup your hand. The devil's an idiot. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I will never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Welcome all of you watching online and those of you who will be watching throughout the week, those of you watching live, stay tuned. I'll say something that will freak you out. <clears throat> it's just a gift. So glad you're here. We began this series uh, a few weeks back on, on how we perceive God. And uh, all of us have a perception of God. We have a perception of God's response to our lives, society, the world, politics, all kinds of different things. We have this perception. And uh, <clears throat> We sometimes, that, that perception was created by uh, our parents, our past, a teacher, friends, relatives. And uh, in my era growing up, when I grew up, my perception of God was that he was just pretty ticked off. So how many of you know that you don't want to go in front of a, a creator of heaven and earth when he's ticked off? You know, if you had a dad, you knew when he was mad, you knew when to ask him for the car and when not to. And so we often perceive God, we create God in our image and our likeness instead of his creating us in his image and, and, and his likeness. So the, the thing is, I, my perception of God as a kid was that uh, he randomly chose people that he liked, and I wasn't one of them. <laughs> I liked me, but I wasn't sure God liked me. And so I, I had this idea that I probably wasn't going to be good enough for heaven anyway, and most of the time, church people and religious people look sad and unhappy, and, and I thought, I, I kind of like to be happy. And, and church people were like, we got to live up to this, and we can't do anything, and we, can, you know, we couldn't even play cards when I was a kid. You know, I, I, I remember one of the queens, there was something wrong with one of the queens. I'm not sure which one, so I can't say it because it could be racially motivated. Anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> You don't know if it was the Ace of Spades, the Queen of Hearts, or a Queen of Spades. I don't know what it was. But I just remember thinking, if this is the God that I have to serve, it's going to be impossible for me to make it to heaven. So I'm just going to do my best to navigate life, and, and I'll do my best. And how many of you know that if you think that way, you, you really kind of suck? At least I did. There was no way that this was going to work for me, this God thing. And my mother did the best she could to try to bring us up in church, and she dragged three boys to church. Uh, my dad worked seven days a week, so he was never there. And, and uh, so I just, I'd hear sermons. How many of you know that when a pastor, if you've never been to church, a pastor opens up books, a book of Revelation, you go, oh, God. Dragons and all kinds of funky stuff, you know what I'm saying? Revelation, like, it's the end, and Jesus is coming back, and he's mad. And so I, I was scared. I was scared of God, and, and I, that was my perception. So what you perceive is what you believe. So if your perception is wrong about God, there's a really slim chance you'll have anything to do with God. 
And so that was my thing when I got old enough to say, oh, look, most of the Christians I had seen were not happy people. And, and they really, uh, they were just like us, only they used God as a veil. And uh, so that didn't work for me either. And so I had to work on changing my perception of God when I got desperate. And so I finally got desperate enough to say, you know what? What I'm doing is not working for me. And you've heard the definition of insanity, doing the same thing, expecting different results. And I wasn't getting different results because I was doing the same thing. And so finally, I, I, get, I go to this church that my mother went to. And I try to be very cautious about this because I'm thankful for every church that preaches Jesus. However, uh, sometimes our message of Jesus is different than the, the way we treat people. And so I got saved in this little country church. And uh, yeah, there were a couple of hundred people. And, and so I, I remember, now you have to understand, this was back in the day when I had hair. And it was really long. You know, I had Peter Frampton hair. Actually, it, 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 it just was one of those things. And I didn't fit in a church. I just didn't fit because, it, you know, I didn't look the part. You know, they would say guys had to have short hair. Well, I already blown it right there. And so uh, I remember walking into the lobby, which back then we called it the foyer, and I think it was probably supposed to be foyer, which that's like Target, Target. Anyway, so I remember walking in, and I saw this sign, and, and fortunately I was not a lady, uh, but the sign said, women, no pants in the sanctuary. Well, it didn't apply to me, so it didn't quite land on me the way I think it would have landed on me if I would have been a, a wandering woman trying to find God. Because it basically said, this does not work. So their perception of God was that if a woman was wearing pants, that was kind of different than a miniskirt. Didn't say don't wear a miniskirt. And I was defiant enough to where if I would have seen that, I would have gone home, changed into a miniskirt, and came back. If I was a woman. <laughs> Clarify. <laughs> and so I remember thinking to myself after I got saved and was going to this church for a while, I thought, what would happen if I invited any number of my former companions, friends into this house? And I thought, I, I don't know how to explain this because their perception was that God couldn't love a woman that was in pants if she was coming into the church. Now, maybe it was okay outside the church, but I, it, it kind of, it, I was working on my perception of trying to reconcile this. And so, I realized that I had to create a different measurement uh, of God in order to stay where I wanted to be, because I, I was never going to be a conventional religious person. And I don't mean that to run anybody down, but uh, the Bible says the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. And so a lot of things, and the traditions, this is in the Bible, the traditions of men nullify the Word of God. And so... There aren't necessarily bad traditions, but when it comes to God, I believe that we have to be very careful because uh, you might have been brought up in a certain way. And, and certainly, I am so thankful for a multitude of different churches that worship God with a different expression. And uh, I have no issue with any of that, but I knew I didn't fit that. Uh, I like to have fun. I like to laugh. Uh, I enjoy life, and, and most preachers, I just thought they were ticked off that God called them. 
At least the church I went to, most of them were just mad. You know, like, you're going to hell, every one of you. Get down to the altar right now. <laughs> Sweating, spitting. Ah. So I just was like, it was a rough thing for me. And, and so I realized I, I wasn't going anywhere. I got saved. I was glad I was saved. My life was turning around. Not quick enough, but it was turning around. And so I had to begin to, to do things differently. Last week I talked about this. I said, you know, there are three selves. You have your spiritual self, you have your mental self, and you have your emotional self. Most human beings live their life out of their emotional self. How do I feel? Do I feel like going to church? Do I feel like going to work? Do I feel like I love you? Do I feel like I want to be with you? Everything's a feeling. And if all you do is make decisions on emotions, you will be failing most of your life. Because not that your feelings aren't valid, but they're a horrible leader. So the Bible talks about it, that we have the mind of Christ, not the emotions of God. But we have the mind of Christ. And so science has proven that you have a prefrontal cortex which controls the logic. Then you have an amygdala which is the emotional category of your brain. And if those two don't develop together where you, you have a feeling that is checked by logic, then there's a chance that emotion is going to take you places that you cannot stay. And so I had to realize I had to start thinking versus just feeling because I had feelings about church. I had feelings about people. I had feelings about Christians. I had feelings about all kinds of things. And, and I, what I realized is I didn't have knowledge about what I felt. And so I had to gain knowledge, and I talked about this last week. Most of the time, we have a first impression of somebody when we see them or when we meet them. And they walk, you say somebody walked into the church and, and somebody didn't say hi to you, and, but you knew them, but they didn't say hi to you. And your first thought is, they don't like me. What did I do wrong? Why, why, isn't, why aren't they talking to me? So that first impression creates a mental thought, which turns into an emotion, which could be totally wrong. You don't know if they got a, a speeding ticket because if you attend Mosaic, there's a really good chance you got somebody got a speeding ticket because your pastor really likes to drive fast, and I figure most people follow suit. And so somebody got a ticket. They're not happy. It's not you they don't like. It's what happened they don't like. And so you create a judgment based on a moment or an impression that's inaccurate. And so what I have learned over time is give it a moment process, think about it, pray about it, and, and give it another opportunity. Now, I'm going to use an example that I really, you, you guys know me, I'm just not good at keeping secrets. And so you, at 11 o'clock, you came to 9.30 last week, it was a first for me. 9.30 last week was a first for me. I came, I, I got a call from Suli that one of our replacement drummers was a guy and, and, and he came to church in a dress. Yeah, that's how, exactly how I responded. <laughs> and so my first impression, my first thought was, I will tie you up and carry you out. <laughs> and then God really started dealing with me, saying, now, be patient. <laughs> be patient. I said, oh, God, he'd already be dead in the hood I grew up in. And, but, but the thing is, see, I didn't have enough knowledge to know why. When we asked him, it wasn't anything that we thought it would be. It was just one of those strange situations. 
And, and so he changed before 11 o'clock. That you didn't have to deal with a, that. But for me, I felt like it was a test of what are you going to do. See, mosaic, if you've ever seen mosaic art and you've ever felt mosaic art, mosaic is made up of a bunch of chips of glass and, and materials and, that create a picture. When I started Mosaic, the idea was that God would bring a bunch of broken people together to make a beautiful picture of his redempting process, redemptive process. And, you know, there are people who don't think they're broken, and they're the most broken. I mean, we're just a bunch of shattered pieces of people that desperately need God. And, and, and I, can't, I can't judge anyone else. You know, people look at pastors and they think, look, we don't have it all together. Just ask my wife. We don't have it all together. And, and I don't even want it to be all. If, if I had it all together, life would be boring. Every day I get up and I have to work something out. Don't say amen, Susan. Okay, thank you very much. Every day. Working something out. And, and so I have to process my life every day and rethink it. Now, in Proverbs chapter uh, 10, verse 19, it says, The more talk, the less truth. The wise measure their words. So what I've had to learn in my life, because I'm a quick responder, I'm not a first responder, I'm a quick responder. And I, I have the gift of sarcasm, which is nowhere in the Bible. It's not like God said, and you shall have the gift of sarcasm and use it wisely. No, it's terrible, because I can say things quickly, and I go, I can't get those words back. And so what I've tried to do and am trying to do in my life, which I had to exercise last week, is, okay, be patient. Get enough information before you have a response. My dad was a head of side hustle when I was young. He worked for Oklahoma Natural Gas 33 years. He worked from 3 to midnight. And the reason he did, because we were quite poor, and I say quite poor, we, we would have been relatively poor. And so he would work. He, he could do anything. He could build houses. He could rebuild cars. And so he, he started building houses on the side with another guy that worked for Oklahoma Natural Gas, and he worked 3 to midnight or 4 to midnight, and during the day, they'd get up at 7 a.m., they would go build houses and do all the work, and then they would sell them, and he would make pretty good money off of those houses. And, and he said these words to me one time, and I, I, trust me, if I built a house, it, it would fall down. It would collapse. It would be terrible. But he always said these words. He said, son, if I was around him and he built some of the houses we lived in, and he said, always remember this, measure twice, cut once. Because if you don't measure twice before you cut, you measure once and it's wrong, you've wasted that piece of lumber, which could be expensive. In the same way, before you speak, measure twice and then speak. Don't measure once because you, you're not checked yourself. You've not tested yourself to check and see if this is really what I want to say. Because once words are spoken, you cannot get them back. And I've heard, you know, and when somebody comes up to you and say, and they ask you the question, can I tell you something? The answer is no. Or when they say, with all due respect, you're getting ready to be blasted. Can I say something? With all due respect, that'd be a no. Because what typically what they're saying is, I'm coming in for a belly punch. I just kind of want you to be prepared. And so... We have to be very slow. You see, as a man thinks in his heart, not as he feels, but as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So what he's saying is that we have this way of thinking, this perception. 
And the reason that it, this is so interesting, if you read the Gospels, everywhere Jesus went, it was different than the places the Pharisees and the Sadducees thought he should go. And those were the religious giants of that day. And, and they were always mad at Jesus because he was hanging out with the wrong people. You see, we have a problem because here's what we think. If I love somebody who is radically different than me, if I love somebody I don't agree with, then what most people think is I'm endorsing their behavior. And so we distance ourselves from people who have made big mistakes. We distance ourselves from people who uh, don't act the way we think they ought to act. We distance ourselves from people who don't dress the way we think they ought to dress. Because if we're around them, we're associating with them, automatically we're fearful that people will judge us and think we're condoning or endorsing that behavior. When in reality, Jesus went to the people and hung out with those people so he could love those people and introduce them to his Father. And i never forget the people who led me to Jesus. I, I was not the guy. I mean, I wasn't a horrible person. I just drove fast, drag race, drunk a lot. And so if you were going to be around me, it, it, it automatically, people would probably automatically think, well, you're just like him. That means you're not saved. How many of you know you can't tell whether somebody's saved or not? Some of you say, oh, yes, you can. They're sweet. Oh, I know some Christians who can gossip you under the table. Sweet? I don't think so, beaver. I'm telling you, I've been around some Christians. They've added a whole, they got like a doctorate in gossip. You know, and, and bless God. And, and you know what they called it in the church I grew up in? I'm telling you, my church had it figured out. When they wanted to start talking about, to, about somebody, they say, this is just for the sake of prayer. I called it the prayer chain gang. Tell me all about it. I want to pray for you. Before they ever got any conversation with God, they went to Sister Nosy. Hey, I got to tell you something. Did you hear about, oh, yeah, let's pray. Look, if, if you need prayer, I, you look, it's not like God needs a detailed biography of your stupidity. It's like, okay, let's write a book on this, and then we'll pray about it. Look, God knows every sin you and I have ever committed or ever will commit. He doesn't need reminded of how stupid we might be. And so I grew up in this thing where, where if you were saved, you had to show you were saved. And that takes a long time. I mean, I, I still have days. Now, there was a time I had years. <laughs> Now I'm down to days where I don't, you know, somebody, you're not even saved. Pull out in front of me, and you may be right. <laughs> I'm not a good Christian behind the wheel. No, no. I just trust Jesus. I, Jesus, just forgive me because I'm getting ready to honk for you. <laughs> you know, they had the bumper stickers, honk if you love Jesus. No, honk if you're a stupid driver. Mm-mm. <laughs> And so I, I was talking last week, and I said, you know, so many Christians have this idea, I'm going to stay saved. I'm like, how do you stay saved? You didn't, first off, you didn't do anything to get saved except, the save, except Jesus. That's how you got saved. Now, it's like 
I used to wake up thinking, today I'm saved. It was a good day. And then I'd have these really bad days, and I'd go, I'm not saved. Can you imagine? Jesus would need a counselor. It's like, hold it. I'm not saved. Why am I not saved? Because I misbehaved. I didn't get saved because I behaved. I got saved because he behaved and gave me his life. Now, I want to do good. I want to do right. I want to be right. But like Paul said, why is it I don't do the things I want to do and do the things I don't want to do who will help me? You need help. I need help. And I, this is not like a license to sin. You don't need me. I'm not the spiritual DMV. Like, here's your license. Go sin. No, you were born with a demonic license to sin. It's like now you're trying to cancel your license, but it will always remain. You don't even have to revalidate it. It's just throughout life. And so I would have this. I, I was a schizophrenic Christian. There were days I thought, I'm really saved. I'm rocking it. And then somebody does something stupid around me, and I'm not so saved. See, my perception was that God wasn't the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God who forgave David, who committed adultery and murdered the lady's husband. And David today, everybody preaches David. Oh, David was so wonderful. If David would have screwed up today like he did then, he couldn't find a church to preach in. But we preach him, we love him, but we don't live him. Mm. Thank you. And so what happens is we, we, we measure everybody else by their behavior. And we measure ourselves by our intentions. Our behaviors are just as bad, but we know our motivation's not as bad, or we think. Our intentions are not as bad. I need Jesus every day. I don't get I mean, I wish it was like Disneyland where I could get this fast pass. I'm a preacher going to the front of the line. <laughs> After all, I paid a bigger price than all these yahoos out here that just sit in the chairs. Yeah, and I really do think I deserve that. I'll be honest with you. You have to see what I put up with. I mean, this wasn't the first gig last week. Years ago, a guy came into the church and on a Wednesday night. We had about 1,000 people that night, and, and, and I'm, I'm getting ready to preach. And it's like, no, the usher comes up to me and says, there's a guy here in a striped robe, and he has nothing on under it. I didn't have time to go, can I pray for an hour and ask Jesus what to do? I just said, hey. I said, uh, the usher said, what do I do? I said, sit next to him. <laughs> Tie his robe in a knot. And so I'm up on stage preaching going, I know nobody's watching me. They're looking at the guy like Joseph's coat of many colors on. This is the robe of many colors. And so I'm preaching away going, oh, God, here goes the church. We're dead. I don't know why, God. I know pastors who have done this for 40 years and never had a guy come in a robe or a dress. I'm like, Jesus, what did I do? Why me? I'm going to go Chris Christopherson. Why me, Lord? What did I ever do? <laughs> and so 
at the end of the service, I'm preaching just like I do now. And the guy lifts his hand to give his life to Jesus. I mean, and, 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 the, and the prayer partner came up to me after this and we talked to him. I'm thinking, did he have his robe tied? And they said, he said, and they said, well, why did you come? He said, and he was jacked up. The guy was jacked up. Everybody knows that. Come on, man. And, and, and he told him, he said, I was laying in bed, and I heard this voice say, go just as you are. And I thought, thank God you had sleep in a robe. <laughs> We're going to buy you a pair of pajamas in case God speaks to you again. I've had, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I don't know why God does this or allows this. I, I just don't even know. But I'm so thankful that rather than telling this guy, look, leave, and, and you know, come back when you can be decent. How many of you know that people who are really lost don't even know what decent is? And, and many Christians don't. Well, who defines decent? Who defines normal? We live in a world that says, well, that's not normal. What's normal? Who gets to define normal? I mean, I know I would be defined as abnormal by the standard church pastor. He'd be like, oh, this guy's out there. Yeah, and I'm going to stay out there. Why? Because most of the world is out there. They're not in here. They're out there. And they're looking at the church going, what am I going to get when I go to the church? Clean up, dress up, straighten up, talk up, speak right. It's like, I, I don't even know if I can do that with full of the Holy Spirit. Because every now and then, how many of you know Christians leak? <laughs> Psst, Holy Spirit's coming out. <laughs> we, we just do. It's not coming. He said, be filled. It's like, you know, you don't put one tank of gas in, drive for the rest of your life. You have to keep going to the pump. As Christians, you've got to keep going to the pump because you leak. I know. And so, if you perceive God to be an unforgiving God who really wishes that every time you made a mistake, you had to go pay and go to hell. Now, certainly there are consequences for wrong decisions. If you're going 80 and a 25, pretty sure you're going to get a ticket. But that's not God's fault. That's your fault because you go to this church and you have a heavy foot. <laughs> kind of spills down from the top. But I had no idea that he was a God of promise. I had no idea that he was a God of grace. I had no idea he was a God of mercy because I had never heard that. As a result, at 16, I left the church and I did as much as I could to never come back. But I had a praying mother, and she wouldn't let go of me. The last one in my family to accept Christ because I was, I was the fun guy. And quite frankly, I just didn't run into a lot of fun Christians. They looked like they'd been baptized in pickle juice. <laughs> I'm going to heaven, and I want you to go to hell because you're having fun and I'm not. I'm sorry, honey. 
Now I have Jesse and my wife sitting on the front row going, help him, Jesus. <laughs> Y'all can talk it over later. I'm going to keep on. Anyway, so the, the thing is that, you know, the Bible says laughter is good medicine. And I like to laugh, and I like to help other people laugh. And i got to tell you, it's a lot harder making Christians laugh than it is drunk people in a bar. <laughs> That's why there, why there are so many successful comedians out there. They're not funny, it's just everybody's drunk. <laughs> i got to do this with sober people. It's like, calculate. <laughs> Was that really funny? I don't know. So, I, I have this picture of God, and I have this picture of heaven, and I, I think about what that's going to be like when God pools all of these different thoughts and ideas together. And the reason I think it's going to be wonderful is because we're all going to find out we were wrong. <laughs> you know, the Nazarenes judged the Methodists, the Methodists judged the Baptists, the Baptists judged the Church of Christ, the Charismatics judged the Catholics, Catholics judge everybody else. And, and don't get me wrong, I preached in Catholic churches before, so I have nothing against Catholics. I, I tell you what I have something against is, is Jesus didn't die for denominations. He died for people. And so some of you, this is your first time here, and it may be your last. Um, <laughs> I have a way of contributing to that. Um, and, and the reason I say that is because when, when I was a youth pastor, how many of you know that, that teenagers really are not interested in how brilliant you are? As a matter of fact, getting a teenager to listen to you would make you the most gifted human being on earth. And so what I realized was in talking to teenagers, uh, I was asked when I was transitioning out of youth ministry, and I, I didn't have a small one. I had a 1,000 kids, and I had literally had to hire a police force. Policemen come every night to my youth meetings because it wasn't unusual at the end of a youth meeting to have a kid lay down a three fifty seven Magnum at my feet or a butterfly knife, which I think I still have and kept as a memory of this kid who was in a gang and and I uh, started coming to my youth group, and, and this is kind of how I preached. I, I didn't change when I started preaching to adults. I uh, just figured that y'all wanted to be young again, and I'm going to help. Um, and so, but a friend of mine asked me, he said, tell me what the difference is between your ministry to teenagers and your ministry to adults. And at the time, I just said simply this. I said, to reach a teenager's heart... I have to go through their mind and, and, and let them laugh. I had, to, I had to get them to open up to me. So my I, idea was I'm just going to do that, and then I'll drop the gospel on them. And I tried, as thought when I started doing adults, I would try to intellectualize. I do have a couple of degrees, a bachelor's, master's, and what I realized is nobody cares. <laughs> you know, because I could tell you what the Greek says, but the Greek doesn't help you pay the electric bill. In the Greek, it says, you're going, hey, tell me how to deal with my wife. <laughs> What's God say about that? Not the Greek. What is the Latin? What's the Hebrew? Nobody cares about that. In fact, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. So I realized it was never going to be brilliance that connected people to Jesus. 
It was going to be love. It was going to be grace. And it was going to be mercy. Love never fails. Where there's sin, grace will abound more. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so my thought was, look, I got a lot of things to say about people, just like you have things to say about me. But what I have realized is what I want to say to you is what you can be, not what you are. I had to begin telling myself who I could be, not what I was. You see, I'm not who I used to be, and I'm not who I'm going to be. Today is one day in transition from what I was to what I'm becoming. Now, it took some work because I was messed up. And it's still taking work because I still have issues. And I know that saddens some of you because I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to be without issue, but that's why we have tissue. (laughs) Because we're a church with an issue. (laughs) And so... I want you to know we're not afraid of your issue. We're not afraid of your issues. We will challenge you. You will get mad at me at times. There will be things I will say that will ruffle you. You know what I have found? God is the author of ruffles. Not the ones with ridges. But at least give me a gratuitous giggle. Things are not always the way they seem. And I'll close with this story. And, you know, I usually circle the airport a couple times before I land. But the story of David is an interesting story because as we read David, we look at Goliath as some kind of star, some kind of incredible mammoth human being. And he was huge in size. But Evidently, David's perception of Goliath was different, and he understood something that nobody ever preaches about. But a man by the name of Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book about David and Goliath, and he said Christians have this all wrong. They saw David as an underdog. But the reality is David did not see himself as an underdog because he perceived something different than everybody else. All that Israel knew was that there was this mammoth guy that was a giant. And everybody thought because he was so big that he was strong and he was, he was an amazing, skilled warrior. But according to Gladwell, Goliath had a disease that is never talked about. Let me read this to you. First, David's sling is a devastating weapon. It's one of the most feared weapons in the ancient world. The stone that comes from his sling has the stopping power equivalent to a bullet from a 45 caliber pistol. It's a serious weapon. And second, there are many medical experts who believe that Goliath was suffering from acromegaly, which causes you to grow. Many giants have this disease, but it had a, a side effect, which is it causes restrictive sight. Goliath, in the biblical story, does, if you look closely, sound like a guy who can't see. So here we have a big lumbering guy weighed down with armor who can't see much more than a few feet in front of his face up against a kid running at him with a devastating weapon, a rock traveling with the stopping power of a 45 caliber handgun. That's not a story of an underdog and a favorite. David has a ton of advantages in that battle. They're just not obvious. 
that's what gets the book rolling is this notion that we need to do a better job of looking at what an advantage is. You see, a lot of people get born again and still think the devil has the advantage. He's crafty, he's sharp, but the reality is when you get God, you now have the advantage. You have a God that's undefeated. He's stronger in us than the weakness we have in this world. So don't think for a minute just because you're a day-old Christian that you don't have the advantage. Now that you have God, the Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. There's not one day that I have to worry that God is not in my corner. And David had a perception that none of Israel had thinking, with a head that size, I cannot miss. I mean, there are ways to look at fights where you can look and say, it is impossible for me to lose. And it may take time. This is why there are a few things. You, number one, you have to be patient. Wait on some things. Speak vision. Don't talk about the giant in front of you. Talk about the power of God within you. My mama used to say, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Now, trust me, I'm not looking to fight uh, the rock. <laughs> not without a 45. <laughs> but I am simply saying this. Oftentimes, we declare ourselves defeated while God's saying you're not defeated and you won't be defeated. You just have to change the way you think. And on a tough day, what I do is I start thinking about what the Bible says. If I'll obey God, I'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the country, blessed coming in, blessed going out. I'll be the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. No, my enemies come at me from one direction. They'll have to flee in seven. Devil, if God be for me, who can be against me? Get out of my way. You're under my feet. I'll make it. You guys have heard me say it many times. Every Sunday, there was a guy that came to the door as I greeted him on his way out, and we'd look at each other, and the minute we made eye contact, we'd look at each other and say, I'm richly blessed, highly favored, empowered to prosper, walking in divine health, going from victory to victory and glory to glory, but with you praying for me, I'm going to get better. You see, you need to stop talking about what you're not and start talking about who God is in you. It's easy to to excuse yourself and get pity from people when you mess up. Don't pity me because I'm going to get up. I don't need you to fix me up. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to get back in the fight. I'm going to get back in the race, and I'm going to pull complete it. As Paul said, I've run the race. I fought the fight. I kept the faith. The only time you become a failure is, a failure is not when you fail, but when you don't get up. Keep getting up, baby. Keep getting up. Thank all five of you for that. The rest of y'all must thought, well, we got that one down. <laughs> Listen, God loves you. He doesn't love you because you're good. He doesn't love you because you've done a lot of awesome things. He doesn't love you because you always obey him. God loves you because he made you. He created you. And I don't care if somebody told you you were an accident your mom and daddy may say, we didn't plan on having you. I'd look and say, yeah, but God did, and that's far better than your plan. You see, there's, all we have to do is turn the story around. 
Even the bad things that happen sometimes are there to help us become who we want to become. The things the devil meant for harm, God will turn for good. There are some bad things that have happened to all of us, and we've made some bad decisions in life. But I learned one thing. Never waste a mistake. Never waste a sin. They're a stepping stone to your destiny. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your patience with us, giving us of your time, your attention, your own life. You don't just love us. You are love. So, God, I am so grateful that you never give up on us, that you've never given up on me and my worst behavior, my worst times, the stupidest mistakes I've ever made. You've never quit, and you never will. So, Lord, every time we fall down, we're going to get up. That's our commitment today. We're not going to stay down. What brings you glory is getting up and saying, God will never quit on me, and I will never quit on him. So, Lord, I pray for everyone who's hearing this message and who's heard this message that you would help us to stay true to our commitment to you even when we've had bad days, bad weeks, and even bad months that we will never, ever stop getting up. You have a destiny for everyone hearing this message. You have a purpose for them being here on this earth at this time in history. May we not lose sight of your purpose. May we get up every day and just look to heaven and say, God, what today? What do you want today? What can I do today? And we'll do it. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask all of you to pray this with me. And those of you watching online, pray these prayers. Pray this prayer with me. And uh, I believe God's going to change your life. If you don't know Jesus, this is, you say, well, man, I, I thought I'd have to change everything. No, what you're doing right now is you're surrendering your heart and your life to God and saying, God, I'm not who I want to be, but I'm not who I used to be, and I'm not who I'm going to be. Pray this with me. Every one of you and watching online, pray this. Say, Father God, thank you so much for sending your only son to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin, and I declare today I am born again. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to do one of two things here in-house. Text the word SAVED to 405-500-1310. Just text SAVED to that number, 405-500-1310. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.